This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, to Real Presence Live. My name is Tim Mosier, your host, coming at you from Fargo, North Dakota. That's right. Eli is producing. Thanks again, Eli. Looking good there, young man. Thanks so much for helping us out. I'd like to thank Chad Prasowski and Chris Haycraft from Catholic Charities North Dakota. They were here uh, the last half hour, actually a little more than a half hour. Wonderful conversation. Uh, Catholic Charities North Dakota does so much, and quite honestly, I I didn't know much about them. I'm still learning as I go, but uh, as we went through our adoption with our son, uh, we learned a lot more, and I just have to tell you, it was amazing, excellent, loving, so helpful every step of the way, and so I encourage you to reach out to Catholic Charities North Dakota. A lot of great things there. As they say, they're a one-stop shop for so many things to help people in need. All right. Well, this half hour, I'm just going to talk. I'm going to share a story with you. I'm going to tell you a story, a true story. And um, I call it um, Campus Conversations. You know, college campuses are a mission field on their own. You know, it, it, it's, it's where most people, most people make decisions and form habits that really stay with them for probably the rest of their lives. And so it's a very, very important place for people to be uh, well-schooled, to be loved, to be, to be given truth. And for many years, that's what universities are for, right? To, to teach the truth and, and to help us to, to start to bring that truth into the culture. And so what I want to share with you is just, uh, again, a true story. This happened probably, gosh, well, I, I can tell you, it happened right around when Justice Alito was going to be put on the Supreme Court. So I, I don't even know the year, actually. But so here's what happened. I'm, um, there was a group on campus, one of the campuses I was at, called, it's a women's studies group, and, and they put out a newsletter. And the newsletter said, do you realize that if we get one more pro-life justice on the Supreme Court, Roe versus Wade could be overturned? And it was, it was said from the perspective of that would be a tragedy because what would happen to a woman's right to choose? And so uh, I, I reached out to, to this group and I invited them for a conversation. I, I love having conversations. As I mentioned, this is campus conversations. And, um, and a, a couple of gals were going to come. Well, only one ended up talking with me and that's fine. And so I just want to kind of share with you because this has been my experience at many, many college campuses. This kind of tells you what the, I, I think this person in our conversation really represents what the culture is saying, how the culture is basically looks at these issues, this issue of life especially. So she, she, uh, we get together, and we're sitting there, and uh, just you know, some nice conversations. And, and I need to tell you at, at, the, at the start, everything was very, very cordial, all right? Uh, I, I, I use what I call my three L's, listen, learn, and love. I just listen to what they're saying. Just listen. Don't interrupt. Listen. Let them speak their mind learn. I would ask clarifying questions, you know, questions, okay, is this what you mean? You know, just, just to make sure I'm understanding what they're saying. That's learning more. And then love. Then at the appropriate time, usually by asking more questions, as you'll see, we help them bring the truth forward. We help them see, help them say, is this what you mean? And when they start expressing it, their own words, oh, that, that just doesn't sound, that, that sounds horrible when they actually say it. I said, well, I didn't say it. You said it. So what happened? We start talking. And again, lots, lots of niceties, you know, where you're from, you know, what's your major, where are you studying, all that kind of stuff. And it was, it was good. 
And then she leans over, just leans forward. I could tell she wanted to say something. She says, do you believe in a woman's right to choose? I smiled and I said, I believe in a woman's right to choose and a man's right to choose and a child's right to choose. I believe in everyone's right to choose. She kind of sat back <laughs> like, okay, what are you saying? I said, but should we have an unlimited or unrestricted right to choose? She said, what do you mean? So Abraham Lincoln once famously said, at least it's attributed to him, your right to swing your fist ends where my nose begins. <laughs> I think that's a good way of summarizing it. What does it mean? Well, it means this. Yes, of course you have freedom, you have rights, you have a right to choose, but when it infringes on another person's more fundamental right, you shouldn't have the right to do that, right? That's going to be using people, right? And so I asked her, she had a purse there. I said, can I take your purse? She says, no. I said, why not? What about my right to choose? How come I can't take your purse and just rifle through it and take what I want? She says, that's not your purse. That's my purse. I said, okay. So can we then agree on this principle that my right to choose ends when it interferes with a more fundamental right? She says, yeah, that, that makes sense. And we went forward. And so she said, okay. She said, what about a woman's right to privacy? It's well, it's in the Constitution. I said, where is it in the Constitution? And asking her questions. She says, well, I don't know. It's in there. I said, how do you know it's in there? Said, well, it's in there. I said, well, let, let's see what uh, the people have said about this. This, this isn't the right to privacy. The right to privacy, supposedly given in Roe versus Wade, really is nowhere in the Constitution. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think people should have some kind of privacy. Right? Of course, we all should have some type of privacy. But again, I go back. Is the right to privacy unlimited, unrestricted? When should we not have the right to privacy? And she said, oh, I don't know. I said, well, let me ask you a question. Then I said, I said, what if someone is going to hurt their young child? So, well, they shouldn't hurt the child. I said, okay, exactly. What if they say they're going to do it in the privacy of their home? Does that make any difference? She says, well, no. I said, exactly. So the issue isn't the right to privacy. Some things that are done are wrong, whether they're done in private or not. These are inherently wrong. So I said, let's, let, let's look at these things. Should a parent have the right to you know, hurt or injure their child to do it in the privacy of their home? No. I said, okay, well, then should they have the right to hurt a child any other way or a person any other place? Well, no. So when you talk about a woman's right to privacy, what do you mean? Well, it's between a woman and her doctor. What's between a woman and her doctor? The idea of whether or not to have an abortion. I said, okay. I said, how many people does this abortion involve? Well, uh, she said it involves the mother and the doctor. I said, anyone else? No, I don't think so. I said, well, but let's, let's talk about the, the life. Is there life in the womb? Well, yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be life sometime, you know. I said, okay. I said, from conception, I asked her, is there ever a time when this, whatever is inside of the woman is not growing? Is, no, it's always growing. I said, okay. So things that grow are alive. Dead things don't grow. And so there certainly must be life there. When would you say that that life, first of all, is it a human life or what kind of life is it? Well, it's going to become human. I say, okay. I said, when does it become human? When does it become a human life? I said, um, 
think when the heart starts to beat. I said, okay, all right. I said, do you know when that is? Uh, no. So, well, the heart starts to beat approximately three weeks after conception. Many women don't even know they're pregnant and the baby's heart is beating. She went, oh, she had no idea. And again, I, I didn't you know, flaunt it at her. I just, again, using her own words. Then she said, hmm, so many women don't even know they're pregnant and the heart starts to beat. So what she had realized was by her own definition of when you should say that's a human life, that would ban almost all abortions. Again, I, I, I didn't rub it in her face, but it's a good thing. And she then, right, came to that conclusion right, because of what she had said. And I think it's important that, that we understand this. See, because I just went on to say, I said, well, when, you know, sperm meets egg, when we have that zygote, that single cell, we have everything. That child can be identified. What do we have now, right? DNA, right? DNA testing. DNA identification, of course. That's a unique human DNA. Never before, never will it happen again. It's a unique, separate, whole individual from conception. She said, yeah, but it's... It, 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 it's so dependent. You know, I mean, even as you go on, it can't live by itself. I said, okay, what if we were to have a young newborn? What if we were to take that newborn, you know, and just put it, put it in its bassinet and say, okay, I'll, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, you know, and you leave? Well, it, it wouldn't live. I said, well, that, that's very dependent, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I said, there's, there, there's, there's four basic differences between an unborn child and a born child. So the first one is size. Let's just take a look at each of them. Let's, let's see if life rights should depend on that. Should someone who's bigger have more life rights than someone who's smaller? The size matters, he says. No, it shouldn't. Yes, if, if it does, right, then, you know, these, these big football linemen would have a lot more life rights than you and me, right? <laughs> and he said, no, that's not right. Okay. So I said, certainly the unborn is smaller than we are, but that shouldn't be. What's about the next one? Next one is level of development. Should a person who is less developed have less life rights than someone who's more developed? For instance, take a look at a child. A child, you know, their brain isn't fully developed. They're certainly the reproductive system is not fully developed, right? So should they have less life? Should a three-year-old have less life rights than you or me? No, no. Okay, so then level of development, how much they're developed then, that should also not be a basis for life rights. Let's go on to environment, where you are. How does where you are determine who you are? Do I have more life rights if I'm in my bed at night than I do out shopping at Walmart or driving down the road? In other words, should it matter where I'm at? No, it shouldn't matter where you're at. So I said, so a child who's still in the womb, all right, as opposed to one just outside of the womb, that's a change of, you know, a foot or two. Should, should, should that make any difference in life rights? Hmm. What's one more? He says, well, they're so dependent. We talked, he says it exactly. Let's talk about that. Degree of dependency. Should degree of dependency, how much we're dependent on others, should that determine our right to life? Let's think about it. What do we do for people who, you know, have heart disease or diabetes or, or, or something like that? Do we just say, well, you're, you're too dependent, so we, you know, you, you shouldn't have life rights. You shouldn't be allowed to live. She says, no, no. Matter of fact, many times, our brothers and sisters 
who are pro-abortion will be very, very adamant that those people who are already born need a lot of help. And I think that's a great way to start to get them to see this whole idea of the unborn, right? Because they say you have to help take care of those people who are very dependent. Exactly. And I said, so what, so let's, let's summarize these four again, right? So it's called the SLED test. It, it's a very famous test made, made famous by uh, Scott Klusendorf. S is size. L is level of uh, development. Three, E is environment. And D is degree of dependency. Those are the four major differences between unborn children and children that are already born. And you just go through each of them and say, you know what? None of these should be a basis for, for life rights. You know, and, and, and that's key. Because if for some reason that is a basis for life rights, well, then we have a problem. And then I asked her, I said, so let's talk about this degree of dependency for a little bit. What happens when someone gets really, really expensive, right? You're in the hospital, you know, and it's really expensive to keep them alive. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just artificial means. I'm just, you know, just ordinary care is expensive. Well, no, they, they need to live. I said, okay. And again, I realized this was probably 15 years ago, and, and attitudes are changing in this day and age. And that's exactly what I want to get to. Because you see, as Martin Luther King famously said, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. I asked her, I said, do you think that if the life to right, right to life for an unborn child isn't upheld, is anyone else at risk? I said, what do you mean? I said, well, we talked about how they're smaller, less developed, you know, where they are, and, and the degree of dependency. Can you apply those principles to other people? She said, yes. I said, exactly. So if we look at people, human persons, as, hmm, yeah, you're too small, you're too big, you're, you're, you're too dependent, you're not in the right place. We see it happening now at the end of life issues, don't we? That's what's happening with assist, this push to assisted suicide. All right? So this injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. And that's the key. Those who support Abortion, whether they realize it or not, are actually putting themselves at risk. Because if we start to say you have to live up to some standard to have the right to life, other than being a human person, a human being, a being of human origin, eventually, none of us is going to live up to some standard that someone's going to put forth. See, Roe versus Wade did three very bad things, very dangerous things. One, it changed the inherent, inviolable, intrinsic right to life to an extrinsic right. Who deems me liable of life? Of, I'm sorry, worthy of life. Let's talk about that for a second. I asked her, I said, have you heard these words before? We hold these truths to be self-evident. She says, yeah, that's, isn't that like one of the founding documents? Exactly. So let's just talk about this for a second. I want to spend a minute or two on this to get you to see this. We hold this, I'm just going to read it and then we're going to analyze it. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Most of us know that, but then... Listen to this. To secure these rights, 
Governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Now let's go back. Three or four things. Number one, these truths are self-evident. What does that mean? They don't need further explanation. If you walk out on the rain, Eli, you're going to get wet. If I say, well, no, you're not going to get wet. No, it's self-evident. I don't need to explain that anymore. So what the fathers are going to, founding fathers are saying now is self-evident. They're saying, we shouldn't need to explain this further. And then they go on. That all men are created. Notice, we're created. And created equal, of equal dignity, but different, I would add, in this day and age. Equal dignity, but different. And they're endowed by who? Their creator with these inalienable rights. You see, our inalienable rights come from our creator. Not from a government, not from a person, not from a court. Because like I said, if, if some court or government or any entity or person deems some people worthy of life, that's a changeable standard. That's subject to the whim of whoever's in power at the time. Nobody's safe. And of course, the first among these is life. If we don't have life, nothing else matters. John Paul II famously said, and you understand this, if the right to life isn't there, does my property matter? No. Okay, does my liberty matter? No, I'm not alive. It doesn't matter. That's the fundamental right. But let's go on to the part we don't know so much. To secure these rights. Notice, it's not to give these rights, not to bestow these rights on others, but to secure them. In, in other words, these rights are given to us by God, and it's the government's job to make sure that they're upheld. And that is the key. To secure these rights, governments are instituted. So I asked her, I said, well, she said, you know, that, that kind of makes sense. She said, but I got a couple more questions. She says, what about rape and incest? I said, you know, rape and incest are terrible, terrible crimes. And, you know, the perpetrator should be, you know, held responsible and we need to help these women however we uh, can. I said, but do you think we should kill the rapist? She said, well, no, probably not kill. I said, yeah. I said, no one should really lose their life. It's a terrible crime. But why should an unborn child lose their life? But that's not my child. I said, let's say you were going shopping. You're going to a grocery store, Walmart, wherever it is. Let's say you were walking through the park and like going to the store. And you see this, this, this person come by. Maybe it's a mother with two or three young kids. And what happens? She says, I see she's got maybe one kid in the cart holding another by the hand. And this three or four-year-old who's walking runs away. And mom says, oh, come back, come back. And you see this car start to pull out. And they can't see that child. What are you going to do? They're backing up. They're going to hit the child. I said, I would run. I'd try, to, I'd try to save that child. I'd try to do everything I can to save that child. I said, why? That's not your child. She went, oh, I get it. Even though it's not my child, just like rape and incest, it's still a child. It's still a person. It's still worthy of love and respect. And just like I would give put my life at risk to help that child who's being all going to be run over in the parking lot you're saying that you want to help every child who's in need like that I said exactly that, that's what I'm saying now I can't tell you I, I, I never actually saw that person again I don't know if changed heart changed mind I don't know but the idea is this I'm big into changing hearts it takes time it takes conversation it takes love 
takes love. As Martin Luther King again said in a letter to Birmingham jail, we need to be radicals. But radicals about what? First thing he says is, the Lord was radical about love. Love one another as I have loved you. Gives up his life for them. So if we're going to be radicals, let's be radicals about love. Let's respect everyone and give that to every single person. And that's the key. When we see those of having rights, not given by us, but given by God, the right to life, when we uphold that, everyone is safe because it squares with the natural law, squares with God's law, eternal law. All right. Well, up next, we're going to get an update from Christopher Dodson with the North Dakota Catholic Conference. We'll hear what some bills we need to be attentive to during this 2021 legislative session. You're listening to Real Presence Live. We'll be back right after this. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. 